Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin. Like many of us during the lockdown, I started to take a harder look at my finances. I was also about to have a baby and everyone scares you nonstop about how much kids are. Well, spoiler alert, kids are very expensive and childcare is definitely my biggest monthly expense. But this is also why knowing what's happening with your money and planning is so important. Today, I'm joined by Melissa Jean-Baptiste, the founder of Millennial in Debt and the author of This Is Why I'm Broke, to share lessons of getting out of debt, ideas to start your own passive income streams, and the budget strategies she uses. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Well, hi, Melissa. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Okay, so obviously you are called millennial in debt for a reason, but you're not in debt anymore. But tell us about the launch of this company and brand and website and and what led you to do it. Yes, so I am a first-generation Haitian-American. Shout out to all my first-generation and people. And so really doing everything for the first time on my own, right? So my parents came from Haiti and they, they were all about that American dream. So it's like, okay, go to school, get a job, buy a house. That's, that's a trajectory. And I just didn't know all the things that I didn't know about. And so when I graduated from college in 2010, I was just like, okay, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to buy a house. And that is it. And three years later, I realized, that was not it. Um, I had so many student loans and I was trying to buy my first home and the real estate agent was just like, mm, your debt to income ratio is really high. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that is. Like, I don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. I pay my bills. My credit score is pretty good. So that was the first time that anyone not only used that term, but actually told me to reach out to my loan provider and when I did, I was very shocked to find out that although I only borrowed $50,000 for student loans, my balance was closer to $80,000. And I'm just like, but I've never missed a payment. I've never, you know, I've done all the correct things I'm supposed to do. And that's when I found out I was on an interest-only payment plan. And so all the payments I was making for those last three years were not even going towards the principal, the actual amount of money that I borrowed. So I cried 
a lot. I sat down and cried. Step one, you uh, cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's important, right? You have to just yes, like, it is. You got to have that release. <laughs> yeah. I cried and then I was just like, okay, well, what do I have to do to get myself out of this mess? Because my loan provider said, well, on this payment plan, you will be done in 30 years. And I was 25. And you were like, no way. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, I don't want to live at home for for 30 more years. Like, I don't understand. And so really I sat down, I looked at my, you know, my finances. I didn't even have a savings account at that time. I was just living off of my checking account and vibes pretty much. And so when <laughs> I looked at my, I looked at my, you know, net worth, I calculated it, it was negative as I didn't even know your net worth could be negative at the time. And I was just really frustrated and really sad and felt super alone and just embarrassed. And it wasn't until I started talking to more of my friends and family about, you know, like, how how are you affording to go on vacation or how are you affording to do this? Because we have similar, you know, backgrounds and similar student loan situations. And that's when pretty much everyone was just like, oh, we're in the same boat. Like we're <laughs> we're in the same situation. We have no idea what we're doing. We're paying all this interest. We're paying what's asked of us, but nothing's really happening to the balance. So that's when I took everyone's kind of stories, whether they were sad, happy, confused, and turned it into the Millennial In Debt web series. And just really sharing everyone's experiences, including my own, in an accessible, funny way, kind of making light of all the chaos that we have going on with millennial adult money situations. And then people are like, oh, this is kind of cool. So I said, hey, let me let me make an Instagram page. Let's see what happens. And it kind of all just blew up from there. And so every experience or every new thing that I've learned or encountered with money, I've taken it, you know, and put my little teacher spin on it. It's what I like went to school for. I put my teacher spin on it and started really teaching people how to have an accessible relationship with money where it's not all or nothing or, you, you know, it's shame-free. You don't have to feel embarrassed. And that's really what's driven the Millennial In Debt brand forward is bringing this accessible outlet where you can share your story, you can learn about money and not feel like you're alone or feel like the mistakes you've made are kind of just that's the end of your life. That's it right there. Um, and so yeah, that's at 25, really... it's game over. Yeah. You're, you're just yeah, stuck in this like... debt cycle, right? <laughs> it's, it's because it's so many things we've seen on TV or heard before. It just always makes me feel like, oh, wow, I should have known better. But it's like at 25, I just, I didn't know, right? And then you don't know yeah. what you don't know. <laughs> no, that's absolutely, the, the, absolutely true. And the case is that had financial literacy been more accessible, maybe a little bit more fun or easy to understand. It was, right. it was almost like they they used and by they, I'm, I don't know, like they in, in quotes, yeah. um, like the big words, the, the jargon was to make it seem very intimidating. And so there are plenty of people out there who, whether it's, it's, it could be student loans, it could be a shopping spree. It could be anything where they open their credit card or they open whatever line of credit and now they've got this debt and it, it it's a treadmill that just keeps speeding up. And to your point, you were living at home, you had a full-time job, you were working as a teacher. So you quote unquote, were checking all the boxes and being somewhat yeah. frugal and you were making all your payments and that, like, I hate to say it like this, but like, that wasn't good enough, right? Like that right. wasn't going to cut right. it, which is, I, I, I feel very like triggered using those words. Like you're not, that's not good enough because it's, it's scary to think like, wait, I'm doing everything right. And somehow this is not good enough. This isn't working. So, yeah. I mean, obviously you started, your message really resonated with people. So tell us the happy ending of just of where you are now. Cause I know it's, 
you know, you paid off over a hundred thousand dollars in debt. You did buy that home on a teacher's salary. So tell us like the quick, happy ending story of that. So people aren't so scared. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So like I said, after the tears, after I cried, um, the plan that really worked for me was creating sinking funds that would tackle the principal every year. And so it was kind of like a reward for the holidays for myself. I would, at January, the beginning of the year, I'm like, okay, I want to pay off this particular debt. I use the debt avalanche method. So I would go after the loans with the highest interest rate. And so I would say, okay, in 2014, 2015, whatever year it was, I'm going to pay off $10,000. So this is what I need to do to save and work backwards that $10,000. And in December, I'm going to make one principal payment payment. And so I did that for five years. And in 2018, I did pay off my final student loan balance, bringing me to $102,000. I was just like, I didn't borrow $100,000. Yeah, I know. And then I was able to buy my first home in January, 2019. I closed. So about four years. That is, that's the happy ending. Well, I like the the happy ending also didn't happen in 30 days because that no. <laughs> is like such a false promise that nobody can sell. And, you know, on Instagram, people will literally try to sell you anything as, as like, that is something I haven't seen it yet, but I bet now that I'm talking about it, my phone's listening. I'm probably going to get yes. about something like that now. So you, you said that you use the debt avalanche method. Can you just describe what that is for someone who doesn't know? Yes, for sure. So what's really big in the personal finance space when talking about paying off debt is either the debt avalanche method or the debt snowball method. And so the snowball method, I like to say, it's really great if you need those quick wins, if you want to see, okay, my debt with my lowest amount owed is what I'm going to tackle first, and then it'll be done. And then I'll go to the next one. I was battling interest rates that were 16% and up because I had a lot of private student loans. So I was like, I can't snowball myself. So I did the debt avalanche, which is just basically choosing the debt to focus based off of the interest rate. So I started with the debt, even though it might not have been the highest balance, it was the loan that was costing me the most most amount of money in the long run. So I chose based off of the interest rate. And when I saved for the sinking funds, I would add in a little bit of extra Because for those who don't know, compound interest is really great on the investor side, but compound interest is also how we get charged on student loans. And it's daily. For me, anyway, I was getting charged interest daily. So I'm like, I need to tackle (laughs) the debt that's going to cost me the most in the long term. And while you were focused on that, were you putting money aside in savings or investing? Or were you like, I got to get this debt rid of that first? So a little bit of everything, which is super important. That's a really great question because I find a lot of times people are like, well, if I'm focused on debt, I can't save or I can't invest. You can do a little bit of everything within your means, right? You don't have to try to follow what the latest Instagram or you know Facebook trend or TikTok trend is. And so what I did was... At the beginning of my career as a teacher in 2011, I was putting $121 per check into a 403B. 403B is kind of like the equivalent to a 401k on the teacher public worker side. And so I talk about that all the time. I was putting only $121. So it was less than $3,000 a year that I was investing, but I wanted to do something outside of just focusing and on paying off the debt. And as far as saving, I didn't start off saving early when I was paying off debt, but every time I'd pay off a debt, I would have more of my, what I call the glorious gap. I would have more money left over and that money I would put into an emergency savings. And so as I was paying off the debt, I was doing a little bit of investing and a little bit of saving. It might not have been life-changing then, 
But now as I look back, those small steps and those small routines really paid off because I do have a six-figure investment portfolio, which I'm shocked at myself. I'm like, as a teacher, oh, okay. And I have reached Coast Fire. So like, that's super exciting. And it's it's really important to talk about how it's possible on having a teacher salary or a police officer salary, right? You don't always have to have that six-figure salary to get started. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. If you're comfortable sharing, you can even give us a ballpark. What was your teacher salary? So in 2011, I started off making $48,000. It's a lot higher now in the New York City Department of Ed. I was a public high school teacher. And so by the time I finished paying off my student loans, I was making about 90,000. So I didn't touch six figures, you know, as I was paying off loans. And I think it's really important because we see all these great debt payoff stories, but it's just like, oh yeah, this person's like a brain surgeon. And I'm like, oh, I... Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you're maybe probably making a million dollars a year and it's guaranteed (laughs) that you're going to make that forever. Yeah. I actually don't know how much brain surgeons make. I'm just making that up, but they should be well paid. I want whoever's going to like do some surgical work on my brain to be well paid. But I I think that's really amazing. 48,000. And then to just to give everyone kind of the timeline, it took you four to five years to pay off that debt and get that house. So just think of that, like do the math, you guys, that those numbers are real numbers. I think that's very helpful. So you're obviously have written a book. uh, So this is why you're broke. (laughs) I want you to talk about why in your work, why are people broke? And what can you define broke? I think we, you know, we use the word broke a lot, us as a society. And like, let's talk about what you mean when you say broke. Yeah. So I, such a good, you're so great at this. I think a lot of times when I talk about being broke, it's really not being financially independent to the point where I'm unable to, you know, buy groceries and save and invest. And I'm living not only paycheck to paycheck, but I'm also adding in debt on a monthly basis because I need to survive. Right. And I think there's such a negative connotation when it comes with, oh, you're broke. And it's just like, most of the time we're in financial survival mode. We're really just trying to, you know, put gas in our cars or we're really trying to have brunch on the weekend with a friend or two every now and then, but we just financially are not able to do so because you know, we're in over our heads with student loan debt. You might have a mortgage, rent, rent prices have been skyrocketing these last two years. So it's just the, you know, inability to financially sustain yourself from month to month, even though, you know, you're working and doing your absolute best. Yeah. Again, you're quote unquote doing all the right things and you have, it's, it's a very depressing feeling to be like, I'm doing everything right. And it's not enough. Like what, it what's, how do I get out of this cycle or off of this treadmill? So tell us how, how do people like, what is step one? If you're feeling like you are living paycheck to paycheck, or you are kind of surviving on those credit cards in order to make ends meet. Yes. I always say start with a money date. You want to date yourself, right? And that takes a lot of financial vulnerability with yourself that people are like, oh, I can be vulnerable with myself. It's just me. But my first money date with myself, I, <laughs> I'm i a crier, apparently. I cried and I was so ashamed and embarrassed. But I think if we don't have that first date where we sit down and we look at the reality of our financial landscape, we look at you know, what budgets we've tried. Cause people are like, I budget, I hate budgeting. Well, what budgets did you try? Let's try something different. That's just more accessible for your lifestyle currently right now or your goals, right? So you sit down, you look at the budgets you've tried. You look at a budget, maybe you want to try. You look at your net worth. If I didn't calculate my net worth on that first money date, I really wouldn't know 
how far deep I was in that hole and what I would have to do to climb out. And so I think people were like, well, I don't want to see a negative number. Sometimes you have to see it, right? You just have to know. And so you calculate your net worth. You look at all the debt, the liabilities that you have. You look at all the, the assets you have, anything you have in savings, and you really take a look and see, okay, this is the goal that I want. This is where I am. And this is one thing I'm going to do to reach that goal or get closer to that goal. And I think it's so important to take it one step at a time. I, If I didn't just say, okay, I'm going to start doing a sinking fund, I wouldn't have known what else to do. I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You just need to start one thing, right? So you have yeah. this goal, you do that one thing, you know your financial landscape. And I think that's really the best first step to take to get your money under control. The Career Contessa podcast is supported by our friends at Dropbox. Are you prepared to delve into the realm of remote work? Remotely Curious podcast is back for a brand new season, asking all the questions about hybrid, or as Dropbox calls it, virtual first work. In this brand new season, host Tiffany Jones-Brown explores the challenges and realities of the changing work landscape alongside experts from various fields. From a time management expert providing tips on finding balance amidst constant distractions to a fashion historian discussing the evolving role of work attire, Remotely Curious covers a wide range of topics that are relevant to today's workforce. You'll also hear from guests like Oliver Berkman, Angela Garbles, Katie Milkman, Gloria Mark, and other experts who are at the forefront of our changing culture. As we navigate the hybrid, remote, and virtual first work environments, it can be overwhelming to keep up. Remotely Curious is here with relatable conversations, insights, and perspectives to help you navigate it all. Whether you're working from home, commuting part-time, or returning to the office, this podcast has something for everyone. So why wait any longer? Tune in to Remotely Curious on your favorite podcast app or visit remotely-curious.com to join the conversation and explore the world of remote work. With insightful guests, engaging topics, and practical advice, this season is definitely worth a listen. Take the first step towards a more fulfilling and successful work life by tuning in today. What's up, everyone? I'm Sheena Shea. You may know me from nine seasons of Bravo's Vanderpump Rules, but I'm here to tell you about my podcast called Shenanigans. We talk about everything from reality TV, pop culture, relationships, parenting, and invite you to join the conversations with Q&A sessions where nothing is off the table. There's so much more I want to share with you. Thanks for listening and make sure to subscribe to Shenanigans to stay up to date with new episodes every Friday. You've said a couple times or used the word a couple times shame. Like I felt totally ashamed. I was embarrassed. And I think that's interesting because the relationship a person has with money can influence what they do with it and how they react. So what do you see most commonly in these relationships that really holds people back? I think it's because as we have this idea of what success looks like, right? So I went to a private institution. I was like, oh my God, I went to a really good college. Oh my God, I got a degree. I got a job right out of college. So I'm like, that's success. And so to not know how to balance my budget or to not know how to save or to not know what makes a credit score, like what are the five factors that go into my credit score? that makes me feel like I'm not successful or I'm not prepared to be an adult or I'm not adulting properly. And I think that is a widespread idea, especially for first generation, you know, people where they're just like, I'm supposed to be a success. I've done all these things and I have $5 in my checking account because, you know, like I'm living paycheck to paycheck. But so I have the college degree. Yeah. Right. I have a college mm -hmm. degree on my wall and I'm just like, you know what? 
<laughs> come take it back. Like, I don't even care yeah. anymore. <laughs> like, I'm just over it. And so I think that's for myself, that's what was really rooted internally with me. Even if no one else was saying it, it's what I was thinking or feeling like, oh, wow, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So, yeah. I also but don't think, be ashamed, y'all. <laughs> well, and I think the, the, the quicker you kind of understand what is your relationship and maybe why do you stick your head in the sand and try to ignore it where clearly that strategy isn't working, whether you're a millennial, a Gen Z, Gen X, boomer, whatever it is, it's, it's not, I think a generation thing. It's more of a, you have to come to terms and figure out the right strategy for you. You mentioned like taking it one step at a time, you know, fine. And I want to talk a little bit about like some of these strategies that you you maybe recommend for people who are feeling potentially a little overwhelmed. What are some practical practical examples of budgeting and investing for beginners? Someone who who's maybe not, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a millennial or a Gen Z, like someone who could be working for a long time, but is maybe just starting to focus on this. Yeah. So I always say to choose the budget that fits your lifestyle and don't be afraid to change it. But Stick with it for a month. That's all. Stay with that budget for a month. See how it feels. See, you know, what your money does for you in that month. And if it doesn't work, just let it go. And so specifically in the book, I talk about how I started with the 50, 30, 20 budget. That's what worked for me because I'm like, okay, 50% of my money is going to go towards bills, right? So I have to pay my cell phone bill, my car insurance, my car note, things like that. Then I'm going to have 30% that I'm going to put aside for, okay, I want to save. I want to buy a new car. I want to do these things. And then that 20%, which typically in the traditional method of that budget, it's like, okay, well, you can, you know, use that for your, your wants or whatever, anything that you want to buy, makeup, things like that. I use that 20%. I'm like, that's going towards debt. Like yeah. that's for me. And so it was just a simple breakdown. And I know so many other people have had success with a bunch of different budgets. But at that time, at 25 years old, I couldn't even wrap my mind around doing the zero-based budget or doing the traditional budgeting or 70-20 splits, the things like that. Now I use the zero-based budget because it works really well for me with being a homeowner and doing all these things. But at 25, it just wouldn't. And so I think a lot of times, especially with Gen Z or on TikTok, we see all these people who are successful. I'm like, oh, well, they're using this particular budget or they're using this app or they're using this, but it's not working for me. I must be doing something wrong. I think we just need to let that go of I'm doing something wrong and focus in on I need to do what's better for my current situation, right? And your current situation is not going to be your same situation in a year, in two years, in 10 years. We're going to evolve financially and it's okay to shift your budgeting style or your saving style to meet the needs you have at any juncture in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why personal finance content has really blown up since COVID is, well, one, I think people for the first time ever, they were home, they weren't allowed to go out and spend money on other things. So then they were like, what else should I do with my money? And in a way that was a really good thing because I think this, you know, financial content, personal advice around financial content has really blown up. The flip side of any time something goes crazy like this is like you get that too, where it's like, okay, now it feels like there's a right way to do it and I'm losing. And and that's what you don't want. You want to create those small wins, which is what you were mentioning with the strategy that you took. So a lot of people are probably thinking, well, a quick way to fix my money problems is to make more money, which we can talk about lifestyle creep also, which is definitely a real thing. I'm going to talk about passive income and, you know, and maybe some passive income ideas that can help build real wealth. 
Yes, I love talking about passive income. Passive income was one of the ways that helped me get out of debt, right? So I did a majority of this on my teacher salary. And when I first started, which we could talk about hustle culture forever, but when I first started, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not making a lot of money. I don't have a savings. Like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to side hustle. I'm going to look into passive income and I'm going to do everything I find on YouTube. I find on Google everything. And those first few months, I was miserable. (laughs) I wasn't making the amount of money that I thought I was going to make. I was really just burning out and losing my energy. And so whenever I talk about passive income or talk about side hustles with people who, you know, they want to make more money because that makes sense. I tell them to look into the skills that they have, look at the timeline that they have and look at what the return on investment is going to be. Because when I was trying to do every single side hustle, I was burning gas, I was wasting time, I wasn't able to really, you know, go to the gym or take care of myself. And then once I'm like, oh, I already lesson plan and unit plan for 40, 50 hours a month, I'm going to take these lesson plans and I'm going to make it into a stream of income. And so I went on to Teachers Pay Teachers and I said, I'm like, okay, this is what you know content they have out there. This is the content I have. And once I focused in on that stream of income, that became my primary passive income source. That allowed me to pay down debt more. That allowed me to save more. And so when we talk about passive income, we really want to say, you're going to have to do some work. <laughs> Passive income is not just like, oh, I set this up and then I go to sleep and make money. You have to set up something that is a part of your strength, a part of your skill set, do that work ahead of time, and then it becomes passive. So those 40, 50 hours a month that I was, you know, lesson planning, that wasn't passive. I was actively building something and then I was able to put it onto this platform to sell. So whenever you're looking to make more money, really think about what the return on investment is going to be, whether that's your time, whether that's money you have to put up front and what that is going to equal in dollars, you know, after you have that set up. So that's super, super, super crucial because hustle culture can really, especially on the internet, can really blindside you and make you think like, oh, I can make a hundred thousand dollars in five minutes. Just like... Yeah. There's a lot of and you're like, where? Because <laughs> that has to go in there, right? We just want to be practical when helping people set up these passive streams of income. Yeah. The phrase passive income is, we have to rebrand that. It's just, <laughs> it, nothing is passive. You know what I mean? If you're running yeah. a blog that has, like, we put ads on our website, like, it's not passive though. We have to create blog content. We have to, you know, fight Google all the time for search terms, you know? So, and, and of course, then you have algorithms. So it's so interesting because a lot of side hustles that have come out in, in the last few years are obviously a lot of them are online, which is really, really great for all of us. But on the flip side, there's a danger in that as well. Like sometimes I'm like, you know what, maybe I can remember being my first job at, or my second job out of college. I was working as an admin assistant. I remember I got paid $32,000 a year. I did not make enough money to basically be able to do anything fun. And I was like, well, what else can I do? And I considered taking a job working at like Lululemon or something Mm -hmm. on the weekends. But I was like, then I will literally never have a day off and I have to be And they they wouldn't hire me for one day a week or because of the traffic, I couldn't get to the place until like six o'clock. And so it was a real struggle of having to find, I was like, where do I find this passive income? And ultimately for me, it it came down to more of the career shift. I was like, okay, I got to find a job that pays more. And I, I went through that angle, but I think that passive income is totally a myth. And I hope that people listening to this are listening to our stories and understanding, like it's not, you're not going to make a hundred thousand dollars in 10 minutes or in 30 days no. on the internet. <laughs> and if you are email us because yeah, we are like, available. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, put us in there. We're there. 
But yeah, yeah. I agree. I even with because I talk about like, okay, dividends is passive income, the interest from your savings is passive income, but you still have to do the work of getting the money in there, right? Like you have to save. Yeah. To get a certain amount that would be, you know, useful for your day to day and you have to invest to get a certain amount of dividends. So it's just like, there's always going to be some type of work you have to do in order to get that passive income stream flowing in a way that's, you know, meaningful to your life. Yeah. If you can narrow this down to three top tips to help build financial wealth, what, what are your top three tips? Yes. So definitely first go on a money date just to look at your financial landscape. I talk about that all the time. It is something that's going to be, and it's not just one date. You start with one date, but you're going to want to try to go once a month, maybe once every other month, just so you get a flow of, okay, this is my money. This is where my money is going. This is what money is coming in. So definitely start with a money date always. Second, if you're not investing yet, I definitely think investing is such as on the internet, it's really huge. Everyone's an investing guru, but investing early and often is truly a game changer in your wealth building abilities. Because like I said, I started off with $121 at 22 years old, and now I've reached Coast Fire without ever really touching. What is Coast Fire? Yes, I love it. No. <laughs> I feel really old asking this, but what is that? So the FIRE movement for everyone is financial independence, retire early, and retiring early could mean and look you know, like anything you want it to look like, but there are different little subsects of fire. And so the coast fire aspect is if you invest early enough at a certain point, you no longer need to invest any further in order to reach your financial independence number at traditional retirement. So if I'm retiring at 65, which hopefully a lot earlier, but if I'm retiring at 65, then I would need, let's say $1.5 million to successfully, you know, have money to spend and use on an annual basis for the next 25 years of my life. And at this point now I have reached that number where if I do not invest another dollar, by the time I'm 65, compound interest will have worked its magic and I will reach that 1.5 million. But that requires investing early and often. So you have that time on your side. And fat fire, which is what I'm currently chasing, is when you have the ability to spend $100,000 or more annually. So that's traditionally $2.5 million saved for retirement. So that's that's what I'm going after right now, just to kind of fund in my um, portfolio to reach that fat fire number. But you can really approach fire any way you'd like, because retirement looks different. Financial independence numbers look different. So if fire is something that is on your mind, you definitely want to start off with that money date because you'll also know how much money do I need to retire? Like how much am I spending now? But what you're saying too, is like you will only get to any of those goals through investing. So that means 401ks or whatever retirement plans your companies may offer, thinking about your IRA, thinking about mutual funds, index funds, ETFs, like there's tons of options, right? Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be, I'm putting in a million dollars. You can start off with $10. You can start with a hundred, whatever is fits into your budget would absolutely start. My work mom, which I'm so thankful for her, she would always say, well, you can always increase your contributions every time you get a raise, right? So I was getting a 3% raise annually. So I would raise my contribution by 1%. So this way I'm like, I still see a little bit more money, but I'm also investing more as well. Yeah. And what would be your third and final tip? So the first one was money date. Number two is investing. What would be number three? 
Yes. Third always is to do what's best for your money and not to try to follow the crowd or try to hit a certain goal because you're turning a certain age or everyone around you is reaching these things. And I say this specifically for home ownership as well. You want to do things on your own timeline because although I love my home and I'm really happy that I got it, I don't think I was financially mature enough or really knew what went into it, but I was turning 30 and I was just like, I have to, I have to have a house at 30. That's what everyone does. And it's like, girl, you could have waited. (laughs) I mean, having a whole other podcast of learn to not care what other people think or learn to not care about these like societal timelines, right? Like that's a whole thing of like, or like send your kid to that school because everyone else is sending their kid there or join this thing because everyone else is there. Go vacation there because everyone goes there. And it's, it, it is like putting on the blinders and being like, I am not going to pay attention. I'm only going to do what's best for me versus the, the quote, keeping up with the Joneses, which is, I feel like 10 times worse today because you know what the Joneses are doing over in New York and Seattle and LA all at the same time. You know, it's not just your street anymore. So, well, Melissa, this is fantastic. I think, you know, you've given us some really practical tips, including making that money date. I think that's so good. And just like talking about like, thank you for being raw and real about your own story and like how much you were making, how much you were able to pay off your diet. I think it's really inspiring for any of us who are listening, who might be feeling like just to, you know, what you said earlier, shamed or embarrassed by it. It's like, there is no shame in this. Like, please just, just don't stick your head in the sand. That's the only thing we're asking right. is like, please come right. up to breathe. So tell people about your book and where they can find it, follow you all the things. So the book is called, So This Is Why I Am Broke. It is out now available wherever you buy books. It is all about that shame-free learning about money, changing your your relationship with money, um, how to make money accessible so you feel comfortable talking about money with your friends and family. And you can find me everywhere, all the socials on Millennial In Debt. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. Don't forget to rate and review our show. And if you are listening to this right now, t- go ahead and take a screenshot of your player and put it on Instagram and tag us at Career Contessa and we will reshare. Thank you so much to Melissa for sharing her amazing tips. And don't forget to check out her book, So This Is Why I'm Broke, which I will link to in the show notes. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.